We're back. We talked on the show a few weeks back about panspermia, the theory that Earth was uh, seeded um, uh, from spores, perhaps from space, giving a life here on this planet a jump start. Um, this was in conjunction with the red rain that fell in southern India that under uh, microscopy appeared to look like organisms, but uh, no one seemed to be able to identify them in terms of any particular fungi or algae or spores or what type of biological cells. We talked a bit a bit about that, um, but uh, further study is sh- turning out that they are exceedingly unusual biological cells, but um, the explanation appears to be rather more down to earth than you know life from outer space. What seemed to have thrown people was the fact that they couldn't find DNA in these cells, and of course all all life on Earth should either have DNA or RNA as part of it. Well, they they now have found DNA. So so they haven't figured out what these things are yet, but it does appear to be biological, not exobiological. Now that they found the DNA, they're going to be able to use it to uh, basically fingerprint what this stuff is. It is funny that uh, in the wake of that article that we quoted in New Scientist magazine, there was quite a lot of uh, rather rather snotty letters to the editor of that magazine. Said Milton Wainwright, University of Sheffield, There appears to be an increasing tendency among scientists to come up with wild explanations when asked by the press to comment on unusual novel phenomena. Said Gareth Jones from Devon, UK. So Godfrey Lewis rules out all possibilities apart from an extraterrestrial source for the red rain over India. Most meteorologists would be surprised to hear that over the course of two months, particles settling out of the upper atmosphere from a meteor airburst would be confined to such a small area. Were there no winds at all? Well, as Jack Parr once said, they use the language better than we do. I mean, it's, you know, it's theirs. You know, there are a lot of issues, uh, important issues, we like to address on on this show, and, and a lot of them we'd like to see people mobilized to do something about. Immigration, the issue of immigration reform, um, you know, would not make our top five, but it seems to have inflamed passions across California, and people are turning out in giant numbers to protest what they perceive as efforts to restrict immigration. The Denver Post noted in an editorial, uh, let's face it, there's no practical or humane way to deport 12 million people. I think that the basic issue can be summarized by one line out of Newsweek magazine from two weeks ago, which is that the income gap between the U.S. and Mexico is the widest of any two contiguous countries in the world. As long as um, uh, the Mexican government continues its, you know, ham-fisted managerial policies and uh, the Mexican population is not reined in, we're going to see people coming across the border to take jobs here, particularly since uh, employers here love to take advantage of this situation. Uh, you know, working most of my uh, adult life as I have in, in medicine, dealing a large percentage of the time with, uh, well, an awful large percentage of the time with those people that take the jobs that allegedly Americans won't take. Um, I've seen what a problem this is. 20 years ago, I mean, the, the healthcare delivery in this country was being strained to the limit 
by trying to cover people who had no health insurance who came here to work. Employers don't have them on the books. They're not buying insurance for them. It's a gigantic problem. But do we need to restrict immigration? Uh, I would argue, yes, absolutely. Something has to be done. And it's not just me saying that. Robert J. Samuelson wrote in the Washington Post that even a country as accepting of newcomers as the United States cannot effortlessly absorb infinite numbers of poor and unskilled workers. And a, a new report from the Pew Hispanic Center found that Hispanics now make up the vast majority of those living below the U.S. poverty line, and they are struggling to assimilate. There's much talk of amnesty and how amnesty might fix the problem. Uh, 20 years ago, there was a huge amnesty program in California. I took part in that as a physician because the people to be granted amnesty had to get uh, physical examinations, x-rays done, at which point uh, they were granted citizenship under an amnesty program. It was said this would relieve the problem. At the time, I thought this would be relieve the problem like putting gasoline on the flames, which is, in fact, what happened. Once a number of people were able to stay here legally, all of their family members now had an in and wanted to come here as well. It cannot go on forever. I don't see how anyone can blame a citizen of Mexico wanting to come here to work and better himself. I would do the same thing if I were in that situation. I can remember 25 plus years ago being down in Mexico with my backpack on, taking buses around the countryside and talking to people down there about that. Guys were saying, yeah, when I get a chance, I'm going to pack up and I'm going north. And I thought I would too. We will return to that topic in the future. All right, to change subjects rather dramatically, would note uh, reading the California Aggie uh, some days back that UC Davis celebrated the opening of a mathematical sciences building. At the ceremony, Chancellor Larry Vanderhoof emphasized the importance of mathematical sciences. He said that although UC Davis is rooted in sciences, mathematics will contribute to the development of other sciences. I find this uh, rather encouraging, that is to say this idea of using mathematics to develop science. When I was a student at this great institution many years back, my roommate went over to a party at the math department where, where the people in attendance toasted heartily to the fact that none of the things they were working on had any application whatsoever. From that, I'd like to segue into an article by Richard Cohn in the Washington Post, as reported in The Week magazine, which started as follows. Why do we continue to insist that every American teenager learn algebra? Writing in The Washington Post, Cohn said, In our anxiety to close the science and math gap with nations such as India and Japan, 17 states now demand that high school students pass algebra in order to graduate. The only discernible result is that most of these state students are now miserable. According to Cohn, in L.A., more kids drop out of school on account of algebra than any other subject. Recently, a Los Angeles high school senior named Gabriela Ocampo quit school and ran away from home after failing algebra six times, apparently convinced that her future was over. Cohn said, no one apparently told her that there's life after algebra. Take it from me. I was a high school math moron myself. I flunked algebra and barely passed geometry. To this day, I could not tell you how many boys it will take to mow the lawn if one of them quits halfway and two more show up later. 
and frankly, who cares? <laughs> he said, you will never need to know algebra. I have never once used it, and never once even rude that I could not use it. Well, I have to disagree with Mr. Cohn. In defense of mathematical sciences, what is called algebra by mathematicians uh, has a lot of very important applications and will allow you to figure out all sorts of things. The problem comes in the way it's taught, which is to say that one should just take great delight in memorizing all sorts of rules of how symbols on a page relate to one another without ever considering that any of it really has much to do with the world around you. I do remember in the ninth grade being confronted for the first time with a subject, algebra, which appeared to have absolutely no application to anything I was aware of in the world. But surprisingly, I did poorly and had to take it over again in summer school. Luckily for me, in summer school, the algebra teacher was the science teacher. He taught it as if it was all important to learn in science, when all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, this has a use. I learned algebra rather enthusiastically. So Richard Cohn is wrong. You, you should learn algebra, only maybe not the way it's taught now, but you should learn some algebra because it will have uses. It just needs to be explained so that you see those uses. Am I wrong, dear listener? If you think so, again, send a letter to info at radioparallax.com. Of course, then there's this item. Dateline, Kansas City, Missouri. This is from two months ago. Researchers at a Missouri university have identified the largest known prime number, officials said Tuesday. The team at Central Missouri State University, set led by Associate Dean Stephen Boone and mathematics professor Curtis Cooper, founded in mid-December after programming 700 computer years ago. The number that the team found is 9.1 million digits long. It is a Mersenne prime number. That's 2 to the 30,402,457th power minus 1. If you're keeping score, Mersenne primes are a special category expressed as 2 to the p power minus 1, in which p is also a prime number. But here's my favorite line of the whole, this whole diatribe. We're super excited, said Boone, a chemistry professor. We've been looking for such a number for a long time. Boy, can you imagine what the math parties are like at Missouri State University? As long as I'm going to be griping about education, uh, I want to know this. Why don't we teach people geography in this country? Writing in VIA magazine, Robin Clements, head of the History and Geography Department at St. Bernard's School in New York City, said, Geography was at one time a mainstay of American education. A 19th century textbook might ask, What are the three principal products of German Southwest Africa? Students were obliged to draw elaborate maps from memory. I know people from other nations are often stunned at how ignorant Americans are on just basic facts of world geography. My understanding is that very few high schools or middle schools just, you know, bother to teach it at all. So we think geography ought to be mandatory in American schools and, uh, and uh, algebra should be taken away from the math department and given to the science department. In fact, I think the math departments should all be dismantled and made part of the science departments. 
remember hearing Ray and Tom Maliazzi describe going to uh, the uh, parent-teachers meeting for their daughter's school and asking the mathematics professor why they were teaching her, I forget which type of math it was, why were they teaching her this certain type of math? Uh, after all, <laughs> they had engineering degrees from MIT and had never found any use for such math. All right, we got about three minutes to go. Let's do three quick items. From the good news file, we have the fact that uh, Angelo Sakopoulos will not be building a high-rise office tower in downtown Sacramento with a Parthenon on top of it. We find it hard to believe that such a mind-bogglingly stupid idea could have persisted. But uh, we would quote from the Sacramento Bee, Robert Chase, an architect who sits in the city's design review panel, said, We're happy. Since it's gone away, we'll let it lie in peace. It did not seem appropriate, and I don't think anyone in the design community was anxious to see it happen. Now, as we're sending robots all around the solar system, we've noted that uh, some of the lava flows that we're finding are much like the basalt that makes up so much of the rock here on Earth, like the Hawaiian Islands and the ocean floor and lots of lava flows everywhere. You may have noticed that uh, one of the favored rocks to use in building material is granite. It's what an awful lot of the whole Sierra Nevada mountain ranges are made of. As far as we know, granite appears to be unique to Earth, and uh, recent evidence suggests that photosynthesis beginning 3.8 million years ago here on Earth may have increased weathering and allowed granite to have formed. This is kind of a restating of the Gaia hypothesis that Earth is basically shaping itself, which may be a little bit too philosophical, but there's speculation that life on Earth may have driven the evolution of our planet itself, and, of course, these ancient microbes um, may have provided the chemical energy to create the Earth's continents. Interesting stuff. Doggone it, we're out of time. Our thanks to Sean Minton and James Israel. Next week's show will be part of our uh, annual fun drive here at KDVS. We will try and excerpt some of our great moments of the past and ask you, dear listener, to do what you can to support this program and the other fine shows that you hear every day here on 90.3 FM. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. This has been Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.